Let's turn back over to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. This is what I've been teaching on all weekend. And this is what Moses spoke to the children of Israel, inspired by the Lord. It says, rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of uh, Hebron, and his land, begin to possess it. And I've already covered all of that. And tonight I want to talk about contend with him in battle. And again, if you've missed any of this, I encourage you to get all of the teachings because uh, this verse just has a lot of the elements of the Christian life in it, things that uh, you need to put it all together in order to really have the power of God operate in your life. But when it says here that you have to contend with him in battle, remember that this is after he said, I've already given him into your hand. And yet there were still things that you had to do. We have to uh, believe that God has already given us the victory, but then fight to enforce that victory. To me, it's similar to the police. You know, they already have laws passed and the government is behind them and they have this authority, but sometimes people rebel at that authority and you've got to go out and subdue people and bring them under the control and enforce these laws that are written. God has already provided everything for us and made provision, but we have to enforce it. Satan is not abiding by the rules. He is coming against you and it's illegal what he's doing, but you have to stand up and contend with him. And again, the average Christian is not taking his authority, but instead when problems come their way, they go to the Lord and cry out to him and ask God to intervene. And oh God, please get the devil off my back. Please heal me of this. Please bless me financially or emotionally or whatever, instead of taking what God has already put on the inside of us and using it and making it come to pass. And this is what he's saying, that he's already given Sion into his hand. Now you begin to possess it and you contend with him in battle. You had to go out and fight a battle, but the, uh, the uh, outcome of the battle was never in question. God had already blessed it. God has already given us authority over the devil, but that doesn't mean that the devil is going to automatically abide by that. He will try and depress you, discourage you and put sickness, disease, poverty, etc. And you've got to contend with him in order to see this victory come to pass. And if you go look this word contend up in the Hebrew, the exact word that is translated contend, the literal definition of this is to be angry. And here's a point that I want to try and get across tonight. And that is that God is the one who gave us our temper. Now that needs some qualification because God did not give you your temper the way you use it necessarily. But think about this. Every person has the ability to get angry. Every person, it doesn't matter who they are. They've got a temper. Every one of us have this ability and we nearly always look at a temper as being bad because it's nearly always used incorrectly. But did you know that the scripture actually commands us to hate? It commands us to be angry. The beginning of wisdom is to hate evil. 
Romans chapter 12, verse nine says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And again, our society, it's just amazing how messed up things are getting and how far off balance everything is getting. And it's getting to where, you know, that, uh, people say you shouldn't hate anything or anybody. There's things you should absolutely hate. The scripture gives us commands, abhor that which is evil. As a matter of fact, look over in Ephesians chapter four. Let me share a verse with you that this will be a total about face from the way most people read this verse. But in Ephesians chapter four, And in verse 26, it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know how most people interpret that is that God knows that all of us are flesh and we make mistakes. And sometimes you lose your temper and you're going to blow it and you're going to get mad. And it's not sin unless you let the sun set on your wrath. In other words, just get over it. Get it confessed. Never go to bed with anger in your heart. Don't let the sun set on your wrath. And as long as you get it confessed in a relatively short period of time, it's not sin. (laughs) That is not what this verse is saying. This is not saying that it's okay to be angry during daylight hours, but not during night. (laughs) You know what this is talking about? Be angry. It's a command. Be angry and don't sin. It's not sin to be angry. There is a righteous type of anger like Romans 12, nine, abhor that which is evil. In Proverbs chapter six, the beginning of wisdom is to hate evil. There are things that God wants you to hate. There's nothing wrong with that. And when it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, that's saying, don't ever let it uh, go dormant. Don't ever let it fall asleep. Don't ever become passive. You need to keep yourself stirred up. You need to get angry in a righteous way and not ever let that anger go down. You need to keep yourself stirred up and angry and mad at the devil. Now, the key here is that you aren't angry at people. In Ephesians chapter six, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our fight isn't with people. It's not people that make you angry. The devil is the one who we're really contending with and it's okay to be mad at the devil. You know, back way, way back, this is 40 something years ago, I was in a church and saying stuff like this about you need to get angry at the devil and you need to put your foot down and just refuse for the devil to do things to you. And I had the pastor come up after the service and he says, we don't talk to anyone that way, not even to the devil. And I said, that's your problem right there. Really, we've got I'm not going to get off and stay on this. I just want to say this quickly and go on because I could, I could get political here and do all kinds of things. But we have a pacifist mentality that has entered into the body of Christ to where really you shouldn't be angry at anything or anybody and let's all just coexist. Let's all just get along together. Jamie read something in the paper today, I think it was, or I forgot where she was reading, but they Uh, she read something in 1928, they signed some agreement. Where was it? In Paris, they signed an agreement that never again would there be war. War was outlawed and nobody could ever solve their differences with war. 
You know, that's dumb as a rock. It wasn't long after that until World War II broke out. And you know what? If people hadn't have stood up against evil and have fought for what our freedoms were, we'd all be speaking German today. Now, I'm not saying that war is a good thing. It's a result of the fall. But did you know what? Sometimes war is better than the alternative. I don't think that fighting and anger with people is the best thing, but sometimes it's better than the alternative. If you truly love someone, you have to hate whatever is destroying that person's life. You know, if I truly love Jamie and yet we were walking, if we walked out of here and somebody tried to mug Jamie and take her purse or rape her or or abuse her or do something. And I said, well, I just love everybody and I would never do anything. That's wrong. I don't want, I don't go out and seek problems, but I guarantee you if somebody tried to mess with Jamie, I'm going to fight them to the death. One of the things, one of the things that is allowing evil to escalate in our world today is the fact that people, even Christians have become so passive that we just don't think anything's worth fighting about. That's not it. You know, I've thought this a thousand times. You never know exactly what you're going to do until something happens. But I've, I've had a friend that over in England on the subways, two kids met him with knives and robbed him of his uh, wallet and his uh, uh, watch and everything he had and stuff. And he came to the meetings and told us about it and stuff. And, you know, I'm not, you know, you never know, I guess, until it happens. But I've often thought about this that one of the reasons that people are able to do stuff like that is because people are so passive. We've been taught to be passive. Do you remember in 9-11, the reason that they were able to crash those planes, those two planes into the Twin Towers and then into the Pentagon is because people had just been taught, don't ever fight, don't ever resist, don't ever do anything. If somebody's going to hijack a plane, let them have it. And because of it, people with box cutters, got on a plane and hijacked a plane with hundreds of people on it. If people would have been resistant and a little bit more militant, that never would have happened. And to prove it, flight number 93, after they figured out that this was a suicide mission, the people rose up and and sure enough, that plane crashed. But did you know that they stopped that thing? And the, what is it? The, uh, tennis shoe bomber and the underwear bomber and all of these other things. There's a different attitude. And because of it, I can guarantee you a person couldn't hijack a plane now with a box cutter because people are resisting it. And I've often thought that if, if some thug was to meet me out here with a knife and say, give me your money or else I'd say, look, I was trained how to kill a person with my bare hands in Vietnam. And I'm not sure if I can still do it, but do you want to take the chance for my 20 bucks? I guarantee you, I'd fight a person to the death for my 20 bucks. And some people think, well, it's not worth it. It is worth it. I am just not going to help evil exist. I hate evil. I am not going to roll over and let things go. And you know what? I believe that that's a godly attitude. I could get off and defend that and do different things. People say, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. There's a difference when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. You don't resist a spiritual force with physical force. But you know what? There is a difference. If Jesus said, 
when he was before Pilate, he said, if my kingdom were of this earth, then would my disciples fight. But my kingdom isn't of this earth. And so he didn't fight. And his role was to die for our sins. But he said, if my kingdom was a physical kingdom, I would fight and defend it. You have to be able to discern. Is a person persecuting you for righteousness sake? If they are, you bear it because you aren't redeemed from persecution. But if you want my 20 bucks, you had best be able to fight me for it because I'm going to fight you over it. And I know some of you think, well, that's a bad attitude. I think that that's a godly attitude. I think God gave us a temper, not so we could use it on people, but so that we could use it on the devil. You need to get to where you hate sickness. You hate disease to where you hate poverty to where you hate oppression. You hate discouragement. And did you know most people have gotten to where they are tolerant towards these things? I'm just going to say some things. They may not bless you. This might offend you. I don't mean it to offend. I'm trying to open our eyes. But did you know things like arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, all of those things, they come on you just a little bit at a time, just a little bit here and a little bit. And it takes years and years and years. And one of the reasons that that thing grabs a foothold in your life is because you tolerated it. You had a pain in your little finger and you thought, oh, I've got a little pain, but it's just in my little finger and you accept it. Then it goes to the next joint and pretty soon it's in your whole hand and then, but it's your left hand. It's not the one you write with so you can live with it and you just tolerate it and you go on and on and on. And then eventually when it gets to where it's unbearable, you've already given into the thing. I've learned that if you fight whatever is coming against you, I mean, the moment it hits you, you fight that thing like the cancer, you fight it like the plague. And I deal with, I mean, a little ache, a little pain in my body, the slightest little thing as if it was something serious. I just hate sickness. I do not like sickness. And as a result in 43 years, I've only been sick once or twice. And that's because of my own stupidity. One time I ministered 41 times one week and the next week I ministered 42 times and I just literally nearly killed myself and had to lay in bed and had some things to deal with. And that was just stupidity. Amen. I've learned a little bit better since then, but that's it. And I've had doctor's reports that I had incurable diseases and stood in belief for them. I've overcome all kinds of things. I've had broken bones and I got up and ran eight miles on a broken bone home broken ankle and was healed. And I've resisted stuff and I fight things. I hate sickness. I do not like being sick. You can ask Jamie, after we got married, one time I got sick and threw up and Jamie said, now I know why you hate it. Cause I'm not one of these that will throw up to feel better. I mean, I'm a toilet hugger. I'll roll on the floor and it. And as a result, it's been like, uh, what it's been 36, 37 years since I throw up. I don't throw up. I don't get sick. I don't believe in being sick. And there are many of you think you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because that's the way that I'm living my life. I do not get sick. I do not believe in being sick. I don't submit to sickness. I hate sickness. I hate poverty. I hate depression. Did you know you can't be depressed? The devil can't do anything to you. I don't care if it's sickness, poverty, depression, loneliness, anything. He cannot do anything to you without your consent 
and cooperation. I know what I'm saying is just totally off the charts to many people because they just have been told that, well, I can't control these. I don't have any power. I have people come to me all the time and they are so pitiful. And they're just telling me how bad their situation is. Would you please do something? Because I just am so pitiful. And, and it makes me mad. It makes me mad that people just come as if God on the inside of them is so powerless that they can't overcome a hangnail, a headache. They just have no power. Would you please pray for me? And it's, you have just advocated your responsibility and your right. You need to find out who you are and recognize that the Lord said that he took away from us all sickness, all disease, gave us power and authority over all the force of the devil. And we need to get to where we hate this stuff and go to fighting it. And one of the scriptures that has just revolutionized my life is uh, James 4, 7, where it says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. It didn't say he might. It says he will. I often quote that verse to people and they'll say, oh, well, I've I've done all of that and it didn't work. So what are you telling me? That the word doesn't work? Are you telling me that you're right and the word's wrong? You know what the word resist means? It means to actively fight against. It means to get angry. It means to get violent. A friend of mine one time had a woman that was into this satanic stuff where they were, she's actually drinking the urine of other people and making these packs and they were doing this demonic stuff and she wanted to be delivered. So he told her about how you're going to have to take back the place. You're the one that gave Satan this inroad into your life. You need to renounce him. So he says, I'm going to pray. And then I want you to talk directly to the devil and renounce him and renounce this place that you've given Satan in your life. So they knelt around his table and this guy prayed. And then he says, now I want you to renounce the devil. And so this woman started off and she says, dear devil. (laughs) And he had to stop her right in the middle. And he says, that's not renouncing the devil. To say, dear devil, you need to get angry at the devil. You need to get mad and and tell him to get out of your life. And this is the way some of you do. Dear cancer, please leave my body. That's not going to get it done. God gave you the capacity for anger. And it's not so you could be angry at people. It's so that you could hate evil. It's so that you could hate the devil. You need to get to where you hate living a miserable life. As long as you can live with defeat, you will. But when you get to a place to where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, this is over. It'll be over. I remember when Jamie and I were really struggling financially and we had to sell a car. The Lord showed me that he was going to supply our needs through selling this car. It's a long, long story. But anyway, we drug on for two or three weeks. And finally, I was down at our church building just praying and and we were under pressure and it was a hard situation. And I was praying and I just got mad. I knew it wasn't God that was keeping us from getting our needs met. It was the devil that was somehow or another hindering us. And I got mad. And I mean, I was yelling. I was screaming. If I could have grabbed the devil, I would have physically hurt him. I was just as mad as I could be. And I was screaming and yelling and rebuking the devil and commanding him to get off of our finances. 
And man, all of a sudden, I just knew that I knew that I knew that our need was meant. And I went home to tell Jamie and I couldn't even tell her because she says a guy is coming to the church in five minutes. He's got the money. He's going to buy the car. And it was over. This problem that I'd been struggling over for weeks was just over when I actually got mad and just, you know, refused to live that way. And after it was over, I thought, why did it take me three weeks to get angry? How come I tolerated this situation? And I've seen this a lot of times that when I just reach my breaking point, that's it. I've gone as far as I'm going. I will not allow this thing to go anymore. And when I put my foot down like that, did you know I see breakthrough? And this is what the Lord was telling Moses. You've got to contend. You've got to get angry. You can't go to Sihon and say, Sihon, I really hate to do this to you. I don't have anything personal, but God gave you our land. No, you got to hate your enemy and you got to go in and spare nothing. You know, one of the great things, I wish I had time to go through all of these teachings. I've got a series on David out there that you ought to get that and read it. But he got mad at Goliath. And when other people were sitting there, they'd see this giant and they'd go hide and stuff. David stood up and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know why he said that? Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. He was saying, who is this guy that doesn't have a covenant with God that would defy somebody who does have a covenant with God? He was standing on the word. He knew his spiritual position and what he had. And he got mad. And it says that he ran toward Goliath. Goliath disdained him and said, who's this dog? They're treating me like a dog that they send a lad out here. And he says, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds. And David, man, said, you come against me with a sword and spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. And he ran towards Goliath. And he threw that stone and hit Goliath in the head. And Goliath fell down And, but you know, the scripture doesn't say that he was dead. And I've been in that exact spot where David fought Goliath in the Valley of Elah. And it's like three or four miles from where the Israelis were over to where the Philistines were. And they were on these mountains separated by miles. They could see each other, but you couldn't see real well. And David and Goliath were down in the middle of this valley. They saw their champion fall down, but you know, how did they know that he was dead? Maybe he tripped. Maybe he was just knocked out. Maybe he was going to get up. And did you know, it doesn't say that the Philistines fled when they saw Goliath fall down. But what David did, David went and stood on top of Goliath, pulled his own sword out of its sheet and cut his head off and held his head up in the air. And then it says that the Philistines fled. In other words, he didn't just deal a blow to the enemy. He cut his head off. And there's another scripture where David is rehearsing his victory and he says, I not only fought, but I pursued the enemy until I destroyed him. Many of us will just chase our problem out of sight and leave it to come back and haunt us another day. You'll just pray for a little bit. You know, God, I really need my whole, I I just need to be delivered from poverty. I got a spirit of poverty, but if I could just get by, if you could just give me a thousand dollars, I could make it. I could live with this. You tolerate something less than what God has for you. You need to get to where you hate poverty, where you hate lack. God provided abundance for you. You get to where you just embrace uh, depression and discouragement. There's a lot of people that think this is normal and they just live with depression. 
They say, well, I don't want it. I've prayed and asked God. See, that's not right. He told you to take your authority. He has already given you love, joy, and peace. Galatians 5, It's always on the inside of you. If you aren't happy and blessed, it's not God who turned his power off and his joy off. It's you that got your attention off of the things of the Lord. The Lord will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed upon him. Isaiah 26, 3. If you don't have perfect peace, your mind's not stayed on God. And that's what the problem is. And so it's not time for you to say, oh God, please give me joy and peace. It's not God's responsibility. You know, it's my last night. I'm leaving here, so I'm going to go ahead and say some things. But we have excuses for us being depressed and discouraged. Some of you, it's your time of the month and you just give two or three days over to the devil every month and just... uh, Use it as an excuse to act like the devil. Some of you, I've got a chemical imbalance and you don't understand I've got this and I've got that. That's not true. There's not a thing wrong with a single person's emotions in here. Emotions follow what you focus your attention on. And if you are focused on negative things, you will have depression and discouragement and sorrow and grief. I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And did you know in the natural, that's true. If you are not to factor in all of the spiritual things and what God has done for us, it's true that something's wrong with you if you aren't depressed. If you're just having your, uh, a great day and going your own way and happy and everything's wonderful, man, you are living in la la land. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of people suffering. There's a, there's plenty of bad out there, but because I choose to focus on the good things, I do maintain joy and peace in the midst of all of these problems, but it takes effort. And it's not something that is because of a chemical imbalance or because of something else. My feelings follow my thoughts And when I think on depressing things, if I just thought about this nation and how we have decreased in morality and in godliness and some of the stupid, 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 did I say stupid? (laughs) Stupid things that are being done in this nation. I guarantee you, I could be depressed. I could be discouraged. I could wonder about what's happening, but I just choose to look on God and think on God. And because of it, I'm able to keep my joy. Your emotions are completely up to you. I had a person come one time who was manic, depressive, and suicidal. And they said, I've tried everything and I've tried to get over it. And I, they wanted me to pray for them. And I said, there's not a thing wrong with your emotions. And they said, oh, you don't understand. I got a doctor's report to pray. And I said, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. And they just couldn't understand. And I said, I'll tell you exactly what the problem is. I said, you go through the day and you think about all of the things that have happened and you focus on this. And it wouldn't matter if five people came up and said something nice to you. You'll focus on the one who criticizes you. And you just look at this and they say, oh, that's exactly that's the way I am. And I said, when you go to bed at night, you go to bed thinking about how bad your situation is and wondering if it's ever going to change. And they said, that's exactly right. And I said, you get up in the morning and you got a brand new day. And instead of any hope or any joy or anything, you go to thinking about, oh man, look how bad yesterday was. I know it could even be worse today. And you just see the negative side of everything. And they said, that's exactly the way I am. 
And I said, the problem is your focus, the way you think. It's not your emotions. If I thought that way, I could be depressed. You know, most people, I, Charlie mentioned this during their singing, but you just think we praise God and we're positive because we don't ever have any problems. If I was to tell you some of my problems, some of the things going on in my life, I could make most of you feel sorry for me. That's not an exaggeration. I got plenty of problems. Charlie and Jill have lots of problems. Lots of people have problems. People who are depressed have chosen to focus on depressing things. And if you think on depressing things, you will be depressed. It's not your chemicals. But this pill will solve it. No, what I do believe that there is a chemical imbalance with people who are chronically depressed, but the chemical imbalance is the byproduct of wrong thinking. It is not what causes the problem. It's a byproduct of it. And you can treat the symptoms and numb yourself and dope yourself up so that you're numb and don't feel anything and get some degree of help. But the root of the problem is the way you think. And I've got multiple scriptures to stand on for that. Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs, uh, Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And he didn't say, except for those of you with the chemical imbalance, except for those of you who have been diagnosed manic, depressive, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just got an email last week from a person who's manic, depressive, has been on medication for years and years and years. And they heard me teaching. I've got a series out there uh, entitled, How to Be Happy Even Though You're a Christian. (laughs) And I've got a series out there and they listen to that and they listen to another series entitled, Harnessing Your Emotions. And they listened to that and they were totally set free of being manic, depressive. They're off all medication and stuff like that. So anyway, my point is, see, we have been taught that this is just normal to go through bouts of ups and downs. And then religion comes along and reinforces it and says that, you know, you have these mountaintop experiences, but God will put you into the valley and make you sad because it's in the valley where the fruit grows and that's where everything grows. And religion has come along and has, in a sense, validated these mountaintop and valley experiences and taught us that God is putting the pain in your life and it's God working some redemptive purpose. And so anyway, people have just been taught that this is the way that it is and I have to be this way. But the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalms chapter 34, verse one. In Philippians chapter four, uh, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It says in John chapter 14, verse one, let not your heart be troubled. That's a command. And he was giving that to his disciples the night before he was going to be crucified. They were about to see him betrayed, beaten and crucified and dead. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Most people today, psychology has had such an impact on us that we would say they were in denial. And yet Jesus told them not to let their heart be troubled. I actually met a girl one time who came to one of my meetings in Lima, Ohio. And this girl had uh, been raped by her grandfather every day of her life from the time she was like five or six until she was 14. 
And when she was 14, she got born again. And when she got born again, uh, she just got set free. And she told her parents what had happened. And the parents got so mad at the father that they kicked him out of the house, wouldn't let him have anything to do with the family. And then they started trying to comfort their daughter. And she says, oh, I'm okay. Jesus has forgiven me and I'm cleansed and I'm a new person. And she was just fine. And they took her to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said, you're in denial because she wasn't moaning and griping and complaining and having all of these problems. And they wound up when she was 15 or 16, kicking her out of the house because she wouldn't admit that she was hurt and deal with it. And she was like 24, 25 when I was ministering along these lines. And she came up and just hugged me and thanked me. And she says, you are one of the very few Christians I've met that believes Jesus could just set you free from something and you don't have to deal with it in a carnal, natural, humanistic way of getting over it. She says, I was free and I didn't have any bitterness or unforgiveness and I'm not limping through life because of it. And she says, most Christians criticize me because I should have these problems. We have been taught that you just have to accept this stuff. And that's the reason that Satan has this freedom to come into our life and do this because we expect depression. We expect hurt. We expect pain. Now, I'm not denying that it exists. I have a lot of discouragement and things that come against me, but I also know how to build myself up and encourage myself in the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David had been running from Saul for up to 13 years. Everything in his life since he had been anointed to be king was bad. And it was going from bad to worse. And finally, he came back and found out that his town had been burnt that all of the wives and the children had been taken captive and the people began to moan and cry. And David cried until he had no more strength to cry. I've done that. I've been there to where I just didn't, I grieved as much as I could grieve and there was nothing left to do. But then it says that the people spake of stoning David. He wasn't the one that caused all this problem. And yet they spoke of stoning David. This would have been a great opportunity to just give up and quit and say, what does it take? I've been faithful all of these years and he could have griped and complained. But the next verse says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He didn't pray and say, Oh God, encourage me. He encouraged himself. He took the promises of God. He encouraged himself and we need to encourage ourselves. And yet the average Christian, if you begin to be discouraged, you go to the Lord like, Oh God, please encourage me. Please do something to get me jump started. Please put me on the right track. And we don't take responsibility. God has already placed love, joy, and peace on the inside of you. And it's up to you to encourage yourself. How do you encourage yourself? You go to the word of God. That's what David did. He called for the ephod, which was equivalent to the word of God in those days. And he began to encourage himself. We go back to the word of God. We remind ourselves of the promises that God has given us. And we look at what God has done. And we look at what he's doing instead of what the world is doing. And it encourages you. You need to encourage yourself. I got off on all of this by saying that we're just too passive. We've accepted discouragement that it's just part of it. That's it's poverty. And you know, I've, after all, I'm only human and what can I do? And we're just so pitiful. 
You need to find out who you are in Christ. And then you need to get this attitude that bless God, I am not going to let the devil run over me. I am not going to let the devil steal from me. I just am appalled. And I'm not saying this uh, to criticize any individual. I'm just criticizing this attitude. But I'm appalled at the people that come to me and talk about their sickness and disease. And in a sense, it's like they, they bear no responsibility. It's like, well, I, I can't help anything. Look, what's, look what the devil has done to me. The devil can't do those things to you without your consent and cooperation. He is absolutely powerless. You can resist sickness and overcome it. You can walk totally free from sickness. You do not ever have to be sick. You don't ever have to be upset. You don't ever have to be lonely and poor. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Some of you don't believe this and you're thinking, I guarantee you when I found out what Jesus did in my life and who I was, I got mad that the devil stole my dad from me when I was 12 years old. He was a godly man, but we didn't know about healing. He was actually raised from the dead four years before he died the second time. He had a sheet over him and was sitting out in the hall. And a Baptist pastor prayed for him and he kicked the sheet off and an orderly standing next to him wet his pants right there. And <laughs> scared him so bad. And my dad rose up, but he was still sick and infirm and he died when I was 12 years old. And you know what? It made me mad that God, I mean, that the devil stole my dad because of our ignorance. I don't know how many of you have heard of John G. Lake, but he was a godly man that had a tremendous healing ministry. And the background is he lost every immediate family member in his family died under the age of like 40. They died young. And he was with his last remaining sister who was on her deathbed and he was praying and asking God and God just spoke to him. He was saying, God, why have you let this happen? And God spoke to John G. Lake and says, it's you that's let this happen. I gave you the power to rebuke sickness and disease. I told you to cast out devils and I can't do it. I gave you that authority and you aren't using it. And he, he was having the Lord speak these things to him and his sister died. And so he got on the phone and called somebody who he thought would agree with him. And he says, God just spoke to me that I need to take my authority. Would you agree with me? And he said, I will. And they agreed and he prayed and his sister rose from the dead and he saw her healed. And he went on to have a tremendous healing ministry. And he saw in Spokane, Washington, there were, I think, two hospitals and one of them closed because there were so many people healed. Spokane, Washington was voted the healthiest place in the United States for decades because of the ministry of that man. And it came because he got to where he realized Satan was the one doing this. It wasn't just natural. It was the devil and he got mad and John Lake, he would tell, he called them practitioners. He would send his people out with a bottle of oil to pray with people. And he says, don't come back until they're healed. They didn't just pray with people and let them go. They prayed and stayed with the person until they got healed. And the longest any person stayed out was three weeks. They would move in with people and stay there and keep praying until they saw him heal and they saw people heal. And it was because he wouldn't tolerate sickness. 
This woman, Lillian B. Yeoman, was a medical doctor and she got born again and turned on to the Lord and she got so angry at sickness. I mean, she was vicious. I read some of her books and she makes me look like I am a schoolboy compared to her. She was mean. She was vicious. She grabbed a person and she grabbed his medicine from him and she says, you take this and throw it down the toilet and apologize to that toilet. She wouldn't tolerate sickness. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the statements about him, Smith Wigglesworth was mean. He took a baby one time that had a swollen head, water on the brain, and they brought this baby up for prayer. And he was on a high platform, three or four feet tall. And he got that baby and kicked it like this out into the front row. And people thought, what happened? But you know what? It was healed. He would hit people. He would poke people. He would slap them. He would do things and people criticized him, says, what's wrong with you? And he says, I'm not mad at these people. I'm after the devil. I can't help it if their body gets in the way. (laughs) You go back to any person who saw lots of miracles and I guarantee they have this attitude that I'm talking about. They aren't passive. They don't sit there and say, oh, you poor thing. And it's so, I understand. No, they get mad. I'm telling you that this is a secret to the Christian life. It's a command to be angry in a righteous way without sin. Not angry at people, but angry at the devil and at the things he does. And don't ever let the sun set on that. And the next verse says, neither give place to the devil. You are giving place to the devil when you are passive. When the devil comes and knocks at your door and you said, oh, please don't come in. Oh God, don't let him come in. And he just starts walking in, but you won't throw him out. That's the problem. You need to get angry. You need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Look at this verse over in Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Wish I had time to preach this whole thing. It's really, I got a great teaching on this. But in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said in verse 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Man, that's one awesome statement. Among those that are born of women, there had never been a greater than John the Baptist. That means John the Baptist was greater than Moses, who split the Red Sea, who caused the 10 plagues, who hit the rock and water came out, who went up into the presence of God, whose face shone with the glory of God. John the Baptist was greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, greater than David greater than any of the prophets. He was the greatest man that had ever walked on the face of the earth. And yet the puniest saint in this room is greater than John the Baptist. Some of you in here think, well, you know, Wendell uses this term super dupers. He's always talking about how the body of Christ believes that we have super dupers. There's the people that you have to run to to get them to pray for you and to get their anointing. And we have, we have these Christian celebrities that they're the ones that have to do everything. 
And there are some of you that believe that I just, God will answer my prayers. He won't answer yours. I've got more power than you've got or whatever. But the scripture is saying that if you are the least in the kingdom of heaven, that's talking about being born again. If you are the sorriest saint that has ever walked the face of this earth, you have more glory, more power, more authority than Moses did, who was able to do all of these things. You at your very worst are better than the devil at his very best. You've got power and authority on the inside of you. The problem is we don't know what we have. We're passive and we think that the devil and that sickness, disease, poverty, sorrow, grief is just something that we can't overcome. And because of it, you don't resist. You don't fight. You got to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word again means to actively fight against Smith Wigglesworth, this man I was talking about was standing at a bus stop one time in England. And there was a little woman there with a poodle. And uh, she was telling this poodle, now go home. The bus is going to come, go home. And that poodle would just stand there and wag its tail. And uh, she kept saying, go home, go home. The bus is going to come. This poodle just wag its tail. And finally the bus is coming around the corner. She said, now go home. Here comes the bus. And the poodle just stood there and wagged its tail and that bus pulled up in front of her and she was going to have to get on the bus. And finally, she just stomped her foot and said, boom, like that. Boy, that dog, boom, he was gone. And Smith turned and says, that's the way you got to be with the devil. There are some of you saying, leave me alone. Please leave me alone. Oh, devil, please get off my life. You need to get angry. You need to contend with the devil. You need to stir yourself up. And remember that if you feel like, but I'm not anybody special. If you are born again, you are greater than John the Baptist. Therefore, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. These people would have given anything to have your problems. You've got more power and authority than any of these guys ever thought about having. We don't know what we have and we're being, we're being pathetic with it and passive with it. And then look in the next verse. This is Jesus speaking and he says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? That means that the kingdom of heaven, which is talking about the age that we live in, Jesus said the kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. They aren't going to say low here or there. The kingdom is within you. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is within you. In your born again spirit, you are identical to Jesus. You have his power and his authority. The problem is we are looking at ourselves in the natural and you're looking at your physical things and feeling your hurt. But in your spirit, you got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And that's the kingdom of heaven. And since the kingdom of heaven is moved on the inside of people, we are under attack by the devil. Satan is coming against us with thoughts, wiles, deception. He doesn't have power. The only power he's got is deception. And he's deceived us into thinking we're only human and that we have to put up with these things. And he's come against us and the violent take the kingdom by force. You have to get violent. 
You have to have a violent resolve. You have to get to a place to where I will not put up with this. Jesus redeemed me from this. I am not going to live with this stuff. And there's not very many Christians that have this attitude. Again, it is so counterculture. If you go to acting like this, people are going to say, well, man, you're arrogant. Or I thought you're supposed to be a Christian. You're just supposed to be passive. You're supposed to go around with your little finger up like this, like these pictures of Jesus and just, you know, go around and bless you, bless you. And I'll tell you what, the people that founded this nation were strong believers and they were willing to lay their life on the line and fight to the death. Did you know that the vast majority of uh, people that participated in the signing of the declaration were clergy. That was the largest group of people that signed the declaration and declared war were clergy. There are things worth fighting for. There are godly wars. I heard a general one time say war is hell and he hated it. But he says that there's times that it's better than the alternative. And you know what? We need to be willing to fight. And we've got a lot of passive Christians that don't stand for anything. You won't fight. I'm not against homosexuals. I've got people that I know. I've got some employees that have had problems with homosexuality and I'm not mad at them and I didn't fire them and I love them and there's not a problem. You know what? They've dealt with it and they've turned from it. I'm not against homosexuals, but I hate homosexuality because it is a destructive lifestyle. And Christians are afraid to stand up and say that. We put warnings on cigarette packages because it'll, you know, it's hazardous to your health. Did you know cigarette smoking takes seven years off the average person's life? Homosexuality, this is on the gay and lesbian website. Their own statistics say that homosexuality takes, uh, the average homosexual lives 20 years less than their heterosexual counterparts. And yet we put a warning on cigarettes because it averages seven years off of your life. Homosexuality takes 20 years off of your life. Did you know spousal abuse among homosexuals and lesbians is something like three to 350 times as much as among heterosexuals. It is a very destructive lifestyle. The suicide rate among homosexuals is three to five times as many people commit suicide in the homosexual group. It is a destructive lifestyle. I hate homosexuality. I don't hate the people. Jesus died for them. I'll minister love to them, but I hate homosexuality. And to have a parade where you brag about being a pervert is wrong. And some people, oh, you can't do that. That's hate speech. Well, I do hate homosexuality because it's hurting people. You know, if there was some food that caused people to commit three times the rate of suicide than anything else, I guarantee you they'd outlaw it in a heartbeat. And yet they're, they're afraid to say something against that. Christians need to hate something that is destroying people's lives and ruining people's lives. It is a wrong lifestyle. God didn't make anybody Adam and Steve. He made them Adam and Eve, amen. And it's wrong. 
And you need to hate sin. You need to hate these things that are destroying people's lives. There's nothing wrong with hating the evil. You don't hate the people. You hate the evil because you see what it's doing to people. There is, God gave us this capacity for anger. And brothers and sisters, most of us have just let it go to sleep. We've let the sun set on our wrath. And we aren't really upset about very much. I mean, you don't like, you got aches and pains, but after all, you're over 40. And so you're supposed to start having aches and pains. That's the reason you got them. Moses was 120 years old and his natural force was not abated, nor his eyesight dimmed. Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's 34, 7. If that was true of Moses, which the least person in here is greater than Moses, then why do you tolerate your eyesight going bad as you get older? Why do you tolerate your natural strength going down? You know, this last Monday, I think it was, I worked probably the hardest I have ever worked in my life. I used a pick and a shovel for four hours without a break. I dug, I worked, I did stuff. I, I just was worn out and I, I did it and praise God, I'm still able to do it. You do not have to run up the white flag and surrender to old age and get sick and decrepit. Because you're 40, you don't have to start losing sleep. I still average around eight hours of sleep a night. You don't have to do this stuff. But you know what? If you are passive, the devil will push and shove. And if you don't push back, he'll catch you off balance and you'll begin to start deteriorating and things will start happening. You don't have to live that way. But you know what? A big portion of it is you got to get angry. I don't know how many of you saw Nikki Oshinsky's testimony about the girl that was healed of fibromyalgia. She had had visions that Jesus was going to heal her. She had a great heart. She loved the Lord. There was a lot of good things, but the one thing was she tried to just be patient and to bear all of this pain. She lived in a room that was covered, the floor, ceiling, walls covered with aluminum foil. She could only eat 11 foods on the face of the earth. A man hugged her one time with uh, cologne on and she had an allergic reaction and nearly died and went to the hospital and they just barely revived her. And she was unable to lift her hand, unable to sit up. She couldn't move. She couldn't brush her teeth, couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. Had lived that way for five years and loved God. And you know what? I went over to pray for her. And the thing that I did, I got to praying that she'd get angry. I laid hands on her and I prayed that, Nikki, I'm praying that you'll get angry. That you'll get sick and tired of this. You don't, this isn't right for the devil to do this to you. You need to get angry. And she got so mad that while I was praying, she hadn't even been able to lift her arm. She threw her arm across and hit me in the chest and knocked me out of the way and threw her legs over and stood up and started walking. And it was one of the keys of her being healed was that she quit accepting it. I know one reason most people don't have this attitude is because first of all, we don't understand that we've been redeemed from these things. And we think that it's foolish to think that you can resist sickness and poverty and depression and 
all of these things. This is just normal. I'm only human. And so it's our ignorance that causes a lot of this. So you've got to understand who you are and what power you have and that this is available. But then I tell you, you got to get angry. You need to contend. This is exactly what God told Moses. Contend with Sihon. And that word means to get angry. You need to hate your enemy. You need to hate the devil. Kenneth Copeland's mom, I don't know how many of you ever met Vanetta Copeland, but that woman was strong as horseradish. (laughs) She came to me one time and said that she'd been dealing with some type of sickness and that if uh, the Lord told her if I prayed for her, she'd be healed. And I prayed with her and she was healed. She's supposed to die and she got over. But this woman was strong and she held Bible studies. And a friend of mine, Steve Mock, went to her Bible study one time And she was talking about the devil and she was blasting him and insulting him and just running the devil down. And anyway, Steve came back and he says, I felt sorry for the devil. (laughs) He says, I've never felt sorry for the devil in my life, but I felt sorry. I've never heard anybody talk about another person that way. And guess what? Vanetta Copeland was strong as five acres of garlic. That woman saw some awesome things happen. And that's a lot of what got into Kenneth Copeland was that attitude. And I'm telling you that this is an attitude you'll find in people is that they just don't tolerate the devil. As long as you can tolerate something, you will. But when you get to the place that this is as far as I'm going, I'm not getting pushed any further. And you start getting angry, you'll be amazed and what happened. Anger is a God-given ability. Now, the way most of us use it is not godly. We use it selfishly and against people. But the capacity for anger is something that everybody has because it is a godly thing and you need it in order to resist the devil. And so one of the things that I think people are missing is that they just are, they become passive and there's a million reasons for it. One thing, like I said, we don't know what we have. We're so distracted. Our world, we're just sitting there entertaining ourselves. Some of you are dealing with cancer and laying down, watching the television as the stomach turns all day long and entertaining yourself with junk and trivial stuff while you're fighting for your life. That lulls you to sleep. There's a lot of things we do that just numb us and make us so that we aren't the person we're supposed to be. But regardless, you've got to stir yourself up. You got to get angry. And there's many of you that don't like your situation. You want it to change, but you're passive. You're praying and asking God and it's not God's responsibility God's put his power on the inside of you. It's up to you to stand up and use it. You've got to resist the devil. You've got to confront him. In Ephesians chapter six, it lists all of the armor that we put on, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, all of these things. Did you know that there's not a single piece of armor for the back? You got to face the devil. You got to confront him. If you ever turn your back, that's when the devil gets you. And many of us have just laid down and we haven't got our shield of faith up and we aren't resisting the devil. And that's the reason he hadn't fled from us. 
There is no exception. Some people think, oh, I've resisted the devil. You may have resisted it compared to what you've done in the past, but you haven't gotten angry at the devil. You hadn't reached this place to where I mean, if you could grab him, you would physically choke him or do something. You hadn't gotten mad at the devil, or I guarantee you, he'll leave. That's true. You have this power, brothers and sisters. If you are the least in the kingdom of heaven, you've got all of this power and we're just letting it lay dormant. And we're going to God as if we are the victim. Oh God, please help me. When he's already helped you, what you need to do is stir yourself up and take what he's got and resist the devil. And you know what? This is not just something you do one time. You need to get to where you live this way, to where you are intolerant towards the devil. You don't tolerate things. You can tolerate people, but not the demonic stuff, maybe that works through people and all of this other stuff. But you cannot tolerate the devil. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to live with things. I've had so many people tell me that, you know, I can't stand this. I want to be healed of this, but I can live with the rest of it. That's wrong. I don't think you can departmentalize your life and say, I'm not going to live with cancer. I'm not going to live with this. But you know what? Just my eyesight, that's just part of it. And I can live with that and I can tolerate this. No, you ought to get to where you just want everything that God's got for you and you become intolerant towards any inroad of the devil into your life. You do not submit to him. There was a woman in our Bible school who had suffered depression about one month or two months out of the year. Every year of her life, she was probably 20 something years old. She was married and her and her husband came to the Bible college. And after a few months in Bible college, she dropped out. And I told her husband, I wanted to see her. So they came in and I said, why did you drop out? I know that you were so excited about coming here. And she says, oh, I'm battling depression. And she said, I just have to stay at home for a month or two. I'll get over it. She says, I've done this before. And I said, man, you don't need to take that approach. You need to get to where you fight this thing. She says, no, it's just the way it is with me. I've done this my whole life. I took scriptures from James chapter one, that sin is conceived in your emotions I said, by you embracing depression, you are allowing Satan to conceive something. You are having, in a sense, sexual intercourse, spiritual sexual intercourse with the devil. You're going to conceive. Every time you give in to depression or a negative emotion, you're having intercourse with the devil. You're going to let him conceive something. And this woman just, oh, no, 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 it's okay. This is just the way it is. And she tolerated one or two months of total depression out of every year. And, you know, as a result, she never did come back to Bible school. She never has recovered from it as far as I know. And it was just totally wrong. But that's her attitude. She just learned to live with it. There are many of you that have learned to live with stuff that God doesn't want you to learn to live with. You need to get angry. You need to stir yourself up. You need to contend with sickness, contend with poverty, contend with depression, contend with fear and fight it and not tolerate these things. And I tell you, if you would get that attitude, you need to make sure that you are intolerant towards the things that Jesus redeemed you from and not just selfish stuff, not just 
you know, you don't like your mate anymore. So you're now intolerant towards them. I am not giving you uh, an excuse to operate in anger towards your mate or your children or your boss. But there are spiritual things that you ought to get angry at and stir yourself up. And if you would go to resisting it, you'd be amazed at how things happen. It's absolutely true. And I tell you, you need to do something to stir yourself up because this is not the way that most people are. Most people have, have uh, dumbed themselves down, have accepted a very substandard life. And even most Christians have embraced that. You will have people that will call you fanatics who will criticize you if you adopt the attitude I've got to where you believe in total victory. You will have people come out against you and call you the devil. I've got hundreds of blogs written against me that I'm, one of them says I'm the most dangerous man in America. (laughs) And there's people that hate me and say terrible things about me because I believe in the word of God working and I'm intolerant and I don't compromise. I mean, to the best of my ability, I don't think I do it perfectly, but as far as I know, I'm standing on what the word says and I'm fighting for stuff. And you know what? People will get mad at you because if what you're saying is right, the way they're living is wrong. And rather than people repent and turn from it, the easiest thing to do is to criticize you and knock you down to their level. And that'll be the response of a lot of people. It's not going to be popular, but I can guarantee you this will be one of the keys to you receiving the supernatural power of God working in your life. Man, if, if those of you that are fighting sickness would just get angry, and I mean go to fighting this stuff and hating it, and I will not tolerate, I am not going to live with this, and you fight it, and if you feel like laying in bed, get up and fight it and resist it and do something against it. And if you'd go to fighting it, it depends where you are in your walk with the Lord. It might take longer for some than others, but I can guarantee you, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. You could get over it. But most people are just way, way, way too passive. You got to get violent. You got to fight stuff like Satan is trying to kill you because he is. And if you'll allow him, he'll still kill and destroy you. It's up to you to resist the devil in the name of the Lord. It's God's power, but you're the one that initiates it through this attitude. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. for all of my brothers and sisters, for myself in here, Father, that just like you told Moses to rise up and contend with this person that you wanted to give that land unto them. Father, there's a land for us to possess. There's things that you want us to do. And Father, we are way, way, way too passive. We look around and accept the defeat of unbelievers. Accept the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the limitations of people that don't even know you. Father, we ask your forgiveness for not using the word of God as our standard. We ask your forgiveness for being like all of the other Israelis that were hiding behind rocks from Goliath instead of being the David that stood there because of our covenant and said, this isn't right. Father, help us to stand up. Help us to get angry. Help us to be like David that ran and 
killed our enemy and cut their head off so that there no, would be no mistake that everybody would know this enemy's never rising again. Father, I pray that there's all of this anger that we use towards people get challenged, challenged, channeled towards the devil, towards our sickness and the things that are trying to destroy us. That, Father, people would be stirred up tonight, that we would rise up and contend with these things that are trying to steal from us. Thank you, Father. I just believe that the Holy Spirit is here to stir us up and redirect our anger away from people and towards the devil and the things that he's trying to accomplish in our life. And Father, I thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. You know, right now, I'm just going to pray a prayer against a lot of things. And I believe that this is led by the Lord. As I'm praying, I want you to be in agreement with me and you just speak in your heart or you can speak out loud, but get mad and start resisting these things. This is an opportunity for you to act on what I've been talking about tonight. So Father, right now, we just take this authority and power that you've given us. And I speak against sickness and against disease. I command all of the hurts and pains, even the minor things that people think that they can live with and that it's not bad. And so they embrace things that you redeemed us from. We right now repent of that. And we say sickness and disease, get out of our body. Arthritis, we refuse to allow you to dominate us. Poor eyesight, we refuse to allow you to dominate us. Aches and pains, soreness, lack of sleep, we break those things. Cancers, heart disease, all kinds of things, we resist you. We command demonic things, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis to get out of our bodies, out of our lives. We command you to leave us, leave this building, be gone. We resist you in the name of Jesus and you are not going to dominate us. Boy, right here, there's a lot of people being healed right now. There's a lot of aches and pains gone. You can begin to move around right now and recognize that you're free from them. Thank you, Jesus. We command deafness to be gone. We command poor eyesight to be gone. Somebody has suffered allergies and, and hay fevers and things, and you've just embraced them. That's a lie. You don't have to have that. We resist those things. Allergies to food. We resist this stuff in the name of Jesus, and we speak health over our bodies. We command those things to leave in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We command poverty to be gone. And not just extreme poverty, but lack in any area. Father, we speak that you became poor so that we, through your poverty, might be made rich so that we can abound unto every good work. Father, I thank you that we have enough to accomplish everything you call us to do and extra to be able to give to other people and to help them. Thank you that we are not part of the problem. We are part of the answer. We are going to have to have people give to us. We are going to be the ones that give to others. 
you, Jesus, that you gave us power to get wealth. And we exercise that power. We resist poverty. We resist lack. And we speak that we are prosperous and blessed. That if any person in this New England area gets blessed, it'll be us. Father, we believe. Thank you that your blessings are coming on us and overtaking us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We resist depression and discouragement, and we refuse to accept that that's the way that it has to be. We refuse to be depressed. We are going to encourage ourselves in the Lord, our God. We believe that you've already given us love, joy, and peace, and we receive it, and we refuse any discouragement. We refuse fear. We refuse worry. We fight against unbelief and unforgiveness, doubt. We resist all of this stuff. Father, we want to be the people that you provided for us to be, and we resist these things. And Father, I believe that this is going to be a turning point in people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I believe that from this time forth, we just change our standards and we refuse to give in to all of these things and accept all of this stuff. But instead, people will get angry at the way Satan is stolen from them. And Father, they'll not only get free from themselves, but then they'll take this righteous, godly anger and go out and resist the devil the way he's destroying other people's lives. And we'll begin to share this good news that you died to forgive us and redeem us and deliver us from all of these things. And we'll share it with other people and see them set free. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. And I just thank you, Father. I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in our lives. And Father, I believe that you hold us to this, that we won't forget it, that we'll remember this. And that, Father, we will keep ourselves stirred up and never let the sun go down on this wrath. And we'll keep it alive and white hot. Thank you, Jesus. We just agree and we receive it. And we thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Let's praise God for that. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. God's done everything. It's not God that's our problem, it's us. We've got to just stir ourselves up, find out who we are, and then stand and enforce the victory that is already ours. Amen? If there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. You need to be born again. And you know what? Jesus has provided it. It's just a matter of you reaching out and taking it. And if you're already born again, then you also need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that includes speaking in tongues. I tell you, speaking in tongues is one of the ways I stir myself up. When I speak in tongues, it's just like I flip a switch and something starts on the inside of me. It gets me going. 
If you don't speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. Man, you need power. Jesus said you'd receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here and say, I need salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Yep, we got some people here in the back. Man, this is great. We've had probably 80 or more people receive uh, the baptism and maybe 16 or more receive salvation. But praise God, we still got people here that want to receive. Hallelujah. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you come right down here and let us pray with you? The rest of you, we're going to have our prayer ministers down here in just a few minutes. And if you want prayer, if you've been stirred up tonight, you know what? You can increase the power. You can increase the leverage that you have by agreeing with someone. And we're going to have prayer ministers down here who will pray with you and agree. And praise God, we can resist with you and help drive the devil out of your life. Amen. So we're going to be praying, but the rest of you, if you need to go, you're free to go. Remember that we have CDs and DVDs of the entire conference now already made out there. You're welcome to get them and uh, all of the other materials. Thanks for coming. God bless you. I believe that God's going to bring this word back to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, God bless you. Are you born again, brother? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. How about you? Are you born again? think so. You need to make sure. How about you? Are you born again? You surely am. Good. How about you? You can't come with her. You come to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Good. Good. Here, let me pray with these people, okay? Good. Awesome. Could I ask our prayer ministers, if you would, to come on down here and stand down here and start making yourself available for prayer. And those of you who came for salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you would, I'd like to ask you to go with uh, Robert. Where is Robert? Here's Robert. And if you would go with him, this will enable us to do things quicker. He's got a book that he's going to give you, and we've got people there that will pray with you and help you to receive this gift. And if you'll just follow Robert, we're going to help you. Amen. And we want you to help you receive. Praise God. This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now we've got our prayer ministers down here, and I want to ask those of you who need prayer to come and let someone pray with you. Amen.
going to let the devil steal from us. Father, we use this agreement right now and we agree with our brothers and sisters and command that healing power to flow right now. In the name of Jesus. I believe that there's a number of people being healed of this manic depressive type stuff. The things that you thought were chemical or organic and you were trying to deal with it in just a physical way. I'm telling you, if you will get your mind stayed on the Lord, he'll keep you in perfect peace. But if you've given in to this for a long period of time, you now not only have a wrong focus, but you have been passive and you've allowed the devil to rear up a stronghold and you need to also resist the devil because the devil's attached himself to that negativity. And so right now, I believe that God is delivering people and setting you free from that manic, depressive stuff. In the name of Jesus, we break that power and command it to be gone off of you now in Jesus' name. And Father, I believe that the power of God is rising up on the inside of these people. And they're resisting this. And from this time forth, they are not going to live in depression and discouragement and fear. Thank you, Jesus. We receive our deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. I believe God set a lot of people free from emotional type of things here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. 